Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about the life cycles of stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today I'm going to talk about where does the McRib go? (laughs) And I was very sensible and kind and did not purchase a McRib for Sarah and I to enjoy because they just sound awful to me. So what is a McRib? I'm quoting a Vice article that quotes another guy. So this is messy. So quote, as Jonathan Gold, a restaurant critic for the Los Angeles Times puts it, quote, A McRib sandwich may not be the foulest thing I've ever put in my mouth, but it is certainly among the most dishonest. (laughs) End quote. End quote. (laughs) A McRib is a sandwich sold at McDonald's made from restructured pork. Oh, that sounds tasty. Restructured pork. Yeah, I'll explain the process briefly because we don't need to get into the, the nitty and the gritty. Uh, but it's molded into the shape of a tiny rack of ribs. <laughs> it's covered into in barbecue sauce and then topped with uh, like sliced onions, not the little chopped onions, but actual slices of onion and pickles. And it's on a five inch bread roll. So it's not on the regular hamburger bun. At one point they sold a mini one that was on the hamburger bun, but that could be it was released in 1981. Uh, which was coincided or was just after the Chicken McNugget was released. Oh. So why pork and why a McRib? So the Chicken McNugget was super popular. Mm -hmm. And the McRib was made with the similar process just with pork. So selling a pork product pleased the pork lobby. But it wasn't as popular as Chicken McNuggets. I'm not surprised. If you've ever seen a picture of one of these that isn't an ad picture... I'm just going to say they're an ugly sandwich. And uh, there are plenty of ugly foods that taste great. So I'm not going to say that an ugly food cannot taste good. One of my favorite desserts to make, I've made this for Sarah before, is Snickers salad. And it's a dessert that looks like potato salad, but it tastes like a caramel apple. So It's the bomb, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But it's an objectively ugly dessert. (laughs) You know, it looks better than the crib, though. (laughs) It, Just gotta say, it does. looking like potato salad is not as bad as looking at like, like a remolded, manufactured piece of gray meat that's supposed to be a rib. But just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so the McNugget and the McRib were both novelty foods at the time in 1981. But the chicken McNugget was made with boneless chicken products. And so it was hard for... That was not a popular thing at Mm -hmm. the time. So it was hard for McDonald's to keep up the supply chain to get all their restaurants the Chicken McNugget. There was just not enough boneless chicken product in the world at the time for restaurant use. Restaurants usually serve bone-in chicken, mostly fried. So the McRib meant that a franchise could have a novelty product or a new product to tout if they couldn't get the McNugget. So it was sort of a balancing act for franchises as well. Oh, that's so weird. I know. The the ins and outs of like franchising and stuff, I, I learned a lot about it, <laughs> learning about the McRib. So how do you restructure meat? It was developed as a process by the U.S. Army to use the pieces of meat that were not 
sort of nicely shaped. <laughs> it involves taking meat, grinding it into a finer meat meal, kind of like flakes, adding binders, salt, and fat, and mixing it in a specific way, and then restructuring it into the desired shape. And then you get a chicken McNugget, a pork McRib, or whatever else. Uh, MREs, which are the ready-to-eat, I don't even know what it stands for, but rations that are usable in the field, a lot of them involve restructured meat. Yeah, it makes sense. And then... The actual McRib and the Chicken McNugget were mostly inventions of the U.S. Army, but that's not a very good ad campaign. <laughs> Get your military rations. Like, it's not <laughs> it's not appealing particularly. Uh, so, they are credited to René Arend, who is credited to either Lithuania or Belgium. He, he was born somewhere in Europe. Central Europe, somewhere around there. And... Uh, René Arendt did create the shape of the McRib and the sauce and the trimming. So he kind of, he was a professional chef and he sort of arranged the sandwich, but he didn't invent the process. But McDonald's does credit him with inventing the process. Oh, that's interesting. They rarely credit anyone with anything, so. Well, and he was, he was sort of, he, he worked for them as a sort of food inventor and innovator and stuff like that. But he was also treated as sort of this professional chef designed all our food so it's sort of an invention oh okay an ad campaign too yeah all right and he didn't do a lot for the mcnugget except invent the sauces which you know are pretty meaningful for the mcnugget but the originals definitely but he didn't do much else (laughs) for the mcnugget he did a bunch of stuff i'm not trying to slight him in any way i'm just trying to make it clear like the army invented this stuff Chef Arend dressed it up a lot. He he did what he could for it. He made it into the McRib and the McNugget. It right. Was, he had a, you know, he was the Mick. Army was the rib and nugget. <laughs> <laughs> the McRib wasn't super popular in the United States. And so it was retired in 1985. It was brought back in 1989 and then retired. 1992 and then retired. And 1993 and then retired. Can you guess what country it was fairly popular in, Sarah? Um... No, probably the U.S., but... Germany. Really? Which makes it a degree of sense because pork products are very popular in Germany. Yes, they are. So, popular in Germany. (laughs) (laughs) In 1994, there was a limited release to promote the Flintstones movie. Have you seen that movie? No. I love that movie. It is so much fun to watch. The live action one. Yes. Um, I may have seen it. Every single actor in it committed full tilt to this insane movie. Mm-hmm. Like they were all barefoot for the entire movie in the desert. <laughs> I just have a lot of respect for that movie. And fun fact, Elizabeth Taylor's last movie. Really? Yeah. The Blinstone movie. Huh. So, and the McRib had a special release. <laughs> Now, from 1994 to 2004, there were periodical, periodic regional releases, but there was no national release of the sandwich. So there were, there were probably a bunch of rumors about like, oh, there's the McRib in Indiana. or <laughs> There's the McRib. Uh, so in 2005, McDonald's launched the McRib Farewell Tour 1, which it wasn't called the first one 
until they had the second one. But it included a website, McRib.com, registered to McDonald's, which featured a petition to save the McRib. So the company that was discontinuing the McRib bought a website with a petition to save the McRib. (laughs) Which was sponsored by the Boneless Pig Farmers Association of America. Of course it was. Yeah, so it was a big sort of publicity. Wait, boneless pig? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a big sort of publicity thing, but... For 2005, 2006, and 2007, there were McRib farewell tours one, two, and three. None of them were national releases of the McRib. They were still fairly regional, but they were, you know, a big publicity type thing. So there were three farewell tours, and then the McRib was sold nationally across the U.S. in 2008. (laughs) (laughs) In 2009, 2010, there were regional releases in the U.S. and Canada, and then 2010, the first fully national offering of the McRib since 1994. So in 2008, it was sold across the U.S., but it wasn't, op- you know, an option for every, like a requirement menu item for every franchise. In 2011, it was a limited releases in Canada and the U.S. In 2012, and this doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but it was offered in Australia and New Zealand to celebrate the London Olympics. I'm no geographer. What? But those are geographically distinct locations that, while part of, say, the Commonwealth of, you know, of which the UK is a part, not related. And then they called it the Atlanta McRib, (laughs) 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 which, you know, Atlanta had hosted the Olympics. So that was the Olympic connection, but Atlanta, Georgia, the United States. It was really popular in New Zealand. Like they sold out really quick. And then it was offered in December of 2012 in the U.S. to boost December sales. And I'm going to talk about sales boosts as part of this. It wasn't offered nationally in 2013 through 2016. The focus was on other releases like their Mighty Wings. Okay, so I I just have to interject something Mm -hmm. here. They, the marketing people are freaking geniuses. Because the way to sell a mediocre sandwich like that is to invent scarcity and make it only available in some markets. That is just genius. Yep. I have to give them kudos for all this comeback tour and craziness like I know. that. It's brilliant. The part of why I did this episode is because uh, I heard a commercial, f- the McRib is back. And I was like, oh God, the McRib is back? <laughs> 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 but for some people, it's a great thing. And then 2017, 2018, and 2019, we've had closer to a national release. I am sure there are parts of America where nobody's going to buy the McRib, and so they don't, a franchise will not offer it. Right. But, I mean, here, and you can get some very fine pork-based food in Durham, North Carolina. Yes, you can. And you can also get the McRib. (laughs) (laughs) So, it gets eaten, uh... So why does it only come around once a year, if that? And Sarah addressed some of that. The the fake scarcity, and I'll tell you why it's fake scarcity, creates buzz, which is really good for business. Yes. The McRib has even had a Twitter account in the past. Like the McRib sandwich itself had its own established (laughs) McDonald's run (laughs) Twitter account. 
And it would tweet about, oh, my 57th ingredient is Loch Ness Monster Flippers and things like that. Like it would, it, they would poke fun at the McRib through the McRib account. So McDonald's has never officially declared why the McRib is seasonal and rare. So Of that, course not. So there are some theories though. And so one thing that you kind of point to pointing to and I'll go even further into is McDonald's knows the McRib is a weird food. Yes, they have to. It's hard to normalize a menu item that is objectively strange. And so they embrace the weirdness, which is why they have all these silly ad campaigns, the Twitter account mocking the ingredients list, the fact that it's seasonal. So people are like hunting for the McRib and it becomes kind of a pop culture thing. If it's a novelty, it's easier to sell. And Sarah had brought up shamrock shakes. Yes, that is a perfect example of this as well. Neither of us like the shamrock shake. We both think it's really disgusting. But there are people that are super excited about shamrock shake season. Which, and uh, I mean, the McDonald's created a whole, I just, I just remembered this. God knows why. But there's a, um, it's like Uncle O'Grimacy or something like that. <laughs> Grimace is Grimace, the big purple monster, is the milkshakes mascot. Oh, is he? I didn't know. Yes, all the all the weird like characters from McDonald's are mascots of a food item. Yeah, I actually have the vintage glasses, I think, of most of the characters. Yeah. And I didn't know Grimace was the shake one. Because there's zero connection between a big purple monster and a milkshake. They don't he even looks- sell purple milkshake. So there's Uncle O'Grimacy, the Irish uncle of Grimace, (laughs) the milkshake mascot. So they build this whole culture around a weird food. Yeah, it's genius. There's also a lot of free press that comes around this peculiar food. We here are technically doing a Big McRib commercial. Yeah. And we're not getting, I'm not getting paid for it. I mean, but we will take money. Yeah, McDonald's wants to give us money. Where does it podcast at gmail.com? <laughs> but huge numbers of reputable news outlets report on the annual McRib resurgence, like CNN, NPR, Vice News. And I mean, you can have your opinions about all these news outlets, but they have massive reach and they're doing it for free. It's mentioned in TV shows. Like there's a sort of running jokes about the McRib coming back and like people talking about the McRib as a novelty and whatever. The novelty means it's noteworthy, and then it becomes a talking point for media, which gives McDonald's a big, free push. Yep. And you aren't just going to go get a McRib and then go home. You'll probably get a drink. You'll probably get fries. You'll probably get food for your non-McRib-eating friends. So it's a great way to get you in the store. Uh, There's also, I had mentioned, there was one year they moved the McRib to December to boost December sales. They moved it back to October to boost quarterly numbers, which is, so that's why the McDonald's season is usually in the autumn, is to push higher sales in a time where it might be kind of slumping. Right. There's also, like, initially, I had had mentioned early on that the chicken McNugget was somewhat hard to supply because boneless chicken products were not readily available for restaurants compared to bone-in chicken products. There was a similar issue with the pork industry, particularly early on. McDonald's claims that, and it's probably the case, honestly, that 
the meat for a McRib comes from the pork shoulder. And so there's only so much pork shoulder in America. Yeah. Where's this quote I had? It was something about how in 1981, oh, here we go. This is a Quote, like I said, upholding the McRib scarcity theory, Mandigo observed, that's a, that's a food scientist, by the way, observed that merely testing the item in one third of the country's almost 6,000 McDonald's restaurants required 40 to 60% of the total amount of pork, pork shoulder available weekly in 1982. Holy cow. So a lot of this was, some of the scarcity is seasonality of food and the fact that McDonald's didn't generate a massive pork market or they they generated the market before they generated the supply chain which is fairly practical in that if you generate the supply chain and then you can't market the food then you got a lot of right old pork sitting here <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Mc, the McRib is also said to potentially be available or more likely to be made available when pork prices are down to ensure profitability. And that goes along somewhat with the, it's a regional offering some of the time and not everywhere offers it. So pork prices go up and down based on all kinds of things. We live in a, we live in pork country. We yes, live, North we Carolina do. is a pork producing state. So the, you know, when there's a hurricane that wipes out half of the hog farms in North Carolina, pork's going to be more expensive. Ah, oh, yeah. And the McRib might not be as readily available. When there isn't, and there's hogs everywhere, and people have stopped, or, or like, if, you know, bacon's become really popular as a food. So that means you got to raise, you can raise more pigs because there's a bigger demand for pig-based food. But bacon is only part of a pig. So maybe you sell more McRibs. So, these are theories, but they're credible ones. There's also pork industry issues that affect the price of pork. Smithfield is typically the provider of pork to McDonald's, and they've been sued for animal mistreatment before, fairly credibly. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, they're called ag-gag laws in place in different states, including North Carolina. And this Mm -hmm. is technically unrelated to Smithfield directly, but... It's now law in North Carolina that you cannot film undercover in agricultural settings. That's so wrong. Well, and the constitutionality of it is being challenged. The law it's being challenged in court and it was a result of undercover film being uh, an undercover film being made in a poultry setting. Right. And worker mistreatment of the poultry. But a similar thing happened to Smithfield, I think in 2010ish. That's going to raise the price of pork. If a company is being sued, they're going through legal proceedings, the company needs to make more money, they're probably going to up the price of pork. So, there's also just like, pork isn't popular some places. Yeah. And ribs are not popular in parts of the world, or parts of the United States. Also parts of the world. So, if it's not a popular food... You're not, you know, your local franchise probably won't have it. Right. Because they can't sell it. Why would they? Yeah, exactly. Why do you want little molded pork riblets (laughs) (laughs) sitting in your freezer, not getting sold? (laughs) Now, I said false scarcity. Any McDonald's franchise at any point in any time can order McRib ingredients and have the sandwich on their menu. So, what I thought. 
Now, while it, you know, national offerings benefit from corporate doing a big advertising push, and if you time it with, you know, the time of year when sales are down, say autumn, and also uh, when other franchises are offering it, you sort of get that push of like, it's McRib time. But it's McRib time. <laughs> it's a new season. <laughs> uh, it's the type of thing where you, it could be offered at any time. <laughs> <laughs> and it just isn't. Yeah, that's what I figured. Now, where can you find a McRib, Sarah? I don't know. You can go to McRibLocator.com. <laughs> Of course you can. And uh, the creator of McRibLocator.com was actually celebrated by McDonald's because it's not a McDonald's-owned site. It's oh, actually just a fan fantastic. site. Fantastic. And I shouldn't say just. It's for a fan site, pretty nice in that it's just dedicated to finding a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and there's maps with sightings and like verified that it's not available in certain places. They have a blog. Uh they have social media accounts. So if you want to find a McRib, McRibLocator.com, or you can make your own. There are copycat McRib sandwich recipes, most of which involve boneless pork chops, which actually sounds a bit better than restructured pork mini rib rack molds. <laughs> Thanks. So that's where the McRib goes. Technically, it could be available at any time, but the seasonality is intentional and then the fact that it's a really weird food is a big part of why it's seasonal as well. Like people, it, it's hard to maintain excitement for a very peculiar food that is not necessarily enjoyed by a lot of people. Like I wouldn't eat one. I don't know that you would eat one. I'm not a fan, but. Yeah. So that's where the McRib goes. <laughs> I love it. McRibLocator.com. I know. That's fantastic. I love people and their weirdness. So this is not related at all, but you did mention autumn. Do you know when the best time to buy a car is now that I said autumn? Is it autumn? You're right! <laughs> <laughs> How'd you guess? So this is a curiosity that I'd never really thought about much, but my friend Tabitha really wanted to know where uh, unsold new cars, what happened to them. So Tabitha, this is for you. One thing I really didn't think about or know is that dealers dealerships own the cars they sell. I don't know why. I thought that maybe they leased them or maybe they sold them at commission, but the um, automakers still own them. No, they actually own all those cars. I had thought, you know, maybe they didn't own them, like I said. I don't know why I thought that. Anyway, probably because cars are expensive. Um they often take out huge loans to buy all their stock every year and get special financing from manufacturers. And often manufacturers will have like special rebates and stuff. Uh, so they own all those cars, which means they really want to sell them. The manufacturers are not going to take them back. There's no buyback or anything like that. One thing that might happen if cars don't sell is that A, they trade the cars with other dealerships, maybe in smaller towns that are selling more of those cars or different regions that have different demographics. Um, they may send them to auction after a bit, but they don't often do this because they have to pay the auctioneer a commission. So they're going to lose some of their money. Or C, they lower the price to sell, which you would think makes a lot of sense, but it doesn't really happen as much as you think. 
The last option would make sense if they lowered them a lot, but they don't. However, I read a couple of articles that claim that after a certain point, dealers will lower the price will not lower the price a lot and instead just park the car in a holding yard, basically in a lot, and just let it sit there unsold. I read an article claiming that this is common in Germany and the UK, so that there, where sales of new cars have dwindled more than here. My guess, and this is just my guess, is that taking a loss on these cars is better than the money they would lose selling it at a huge discount. So when they go like quarterly to figure out their taxes, they're taking a loss on the property that they own. Apparently, because there are so many cars still being manufactured and not as much demand for some cars, there are many lots just full of old new cars. They're new cars basically, but they haven't been sold. Maybe they're a weird color or color that's not popular. And so dealerships don't want this to happen. They try their best to pick the cars they think will sell, but stuff happens. Some end up as fleet vehicles. Say the rental company will come out and buy huge lots of cars, either by the dealership or, you know, some other place. The dealership can use the fleet cars as well. And as for option A, which I mentioned earlier, and that they trade um, with dealerships, dealerships are franchises. So they may be trading with another franchise that is part of their dealership network which I found interesting. And I, in my research, I found that all, that fall and the end of the month is the best time supposedly to buy a new car because dealerships are trying to get rid of them because the new models will come out soon. That's what I mentioned earlier. Also, different manufacturers might offer rebates or savings during the autumn, helping the dealerships get rid of these cars. So if you're looking for a new car, Buy one at the end of the month in autumn, maybe the end of October. And yeah, they're just sitting there. There are a couple of websites that point out in Germany and in the UK where you can see these huge lots of new cars. It's basically car parks full of cars that no one is buying. And I guess in Baltimore, there's a huge holding yard as well that you can look at on on your Google Maps. You can kind of fly over and see it. But they're just sitting there. I swear I've seen such a thing as well. Mm-hmm. And there are, I know that it is not uncommon for the federal government to buy for uh, basically fleet vehicles, white vehicles. Yes. But you'll off, I've seen several times entire parking lots of the same white SUV or whatever. So I wonder if it was like a government sale that fell through or something like that. And maybe white's just not popular. It's just not a popular color. It's a horrible color. Yeah. I've noticed frequently that rental car companies will often have like white cars too. Yeah. And it's just not a practical color. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're anywhere that's muddy or slushy or anything. Yeah. So, so wait. If you want to buy a new car, I think I've owned two cars. One came to a terrible, terrible demise. A huge tree fell on it a couple years ago, and I I felt like the car was just cursed because it was brand new. The first month I owned it, someone backed into the door and almost took my husband's arm off. So, yeah, I I haven't bought a new car since. But Yeah, it explains a bit about the price of my car. It wasn't a new car at the time, but it was a non-maker car at a dealership 
And we bought it in October, at the end of October. Yep. There you go. And I think we got a pretty good deal on it. Good. So. Yeah, look for those deals. And especially when manufacturers in the autumn are trying to help dealership move the cars out, that's a really good time because you might be able to get, the dealership itself might offer an even lower price because they're going to even get money back from the manufacturer to sell that car because they've already made a promise to buy new cars in the next season. Hmm. Owning a franchise sounds awful. Yeah, it's it sounds stressful. Yeah, just in general. Any franchisees out there, feel free to tell us about how yeah, stressful Yeah, where do franchises is. go once oh, they fail? Geez. That'd be interesting. <laughs> I love it when you can see like where do old franchises go? Obvious blockbusters and stuff like that with different things in the signs and stuff like and uh, like the um, the local Italian place we sometimes go to really looks like a Chinese restaurant on the inside, like the decor. Oh, it does. I think so. Huh. So it's just like different, obviously a different restaurant decor or feel Mm -hmm. that has been switched over so tabitha and i had lunch together and this is when we were talking about unsold cars and we were in a mexican restaurant and she's like haven't we been here before and i said no we've never been here she's like it looks exactly the same as the one we went to i think it was probably 20 miles away and so i'm pretty sure there's like a catalog of things that you can buy for your restaurant that looks exact exactly the same. Are they the like carved relief? Yes. Chairs and yes. tables and things. Everything's brightly colored yeah. and carved relief and there yeah, I I swear that there's like a catalog for Chinese restaurants and for Mexican restaurants and for whatever restaurants. Yeah. Probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's unrelated, but you know, as as we're talking about franchises. Yeah, exactly. So you can hear more of our episodes on most podcasting platforms, unless I couldn't figure out how to upload on the platform. <laughs> <laughs> but you can find our website, whereitisitpodcast.com. Feel free to email us ideas if you have requests for episodes, because we certainly gladly listen to them. Whereitisitpodcast at gmail.com. And if McDonald's wants to give us money, whereitisitpodcast at gmail.com. By all means. Mm-hmm. Heck, I'll eat a McRib. <laughs> Oh, pay us to eat a McRib. Yeah. We'll even do it on air. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) 